You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Mr. Swift, and for operational security reasons, that is going to be how we refer to him today. Mr. Swift has over 20 years in law enforcement experience, uh, nine also in uh, the paramedic field, and really happy to have him on the show today. So, Mr. Swift, thank you for coming on. Jeff, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for quite a bit uh, right now with everything going on uh, between the quarantines, law enforcement response, medical community response. Uh, a lot of people are out there, you know, and they're scared. Some are, you know, not so worried. They're taking it seriously, but they're not going overboard with it. And uh, like you and I were discussing earlier, uh, the responses between various departments are, uh, whether it be the medical field or law enforcement community, uh, they're very different with some overlaps as far as the type of people they interact with and the policies they're having to put in place. But uh, what I really wanted to get into was with someone with your experience, what are some of the things that people should be looking out for when they go out into the world, whether they have a shelter in place order or not, uh, you've got people out there who are scared. You've got people who are desperate. Uh, We've seen the stories of people fighting over, you know, whether it be toilet paper or food or whatever in the grocery stores, because they can't keep up with the demand right now. Um, You have a lot of experience in personal protection and security. So I guess uh, what people really need to learn today, at least from this episode is, what they can be doing to protect themselves as far as situational awareness and any type of preparations they should make. Yeah. Um, the biggest piece of advice I could give and share with anybody, um, is uninvert your cranial rectal inversion. Pull your head out of your ass. Um, because, (laughs) because, because the, um, when people get desperate, when people get scared, um, you know, I'm from the South, so it's always been ingrained in me, my family, everywhere, you know, you corner a coward, he'll kill you. Don't, I, I, I hope and wish people would keep that in mind because the people who, again, the, the majority of the criminal element, um, Again, it's a choice. Not all people are just, you know, inherently bad. There are a few, um, but the, their feeling in their world and their perception, which is re- their reality, is they're feeling like they're starting to get cornered. Um, you know, their kids can't go to school. Um, they just lost a job. Um, unemployment is taking forever to kick in. Um, the family care first act um, that the Senate signed, that's going to take a while for that to get down the pipeline to them, to their pockets. So they're not so stressed. It's going to push people into 
their reality's corners. Um, so theft will kick up. Um, just the other day, uh, I mentioned in another podcast I did the other day that uh, Walmart, I watched, I observed a guy casing cars to just, they're, they're just, to me, they're just a quick opportunity crimes. Um, but I'm also starting to hear more and more um, in some of my other circles uh, through other social media accounts I have of loss prevention officers. He's like, oh, you know, across the state, the, the types of thefts and what's being stolen is, is in line with what's going on. Um, you know, uh, baby food, the, the necessities, um, over-the-counter um, medications, um, and there's some other, you know, the normal other crap too, you know, candy and food and um, electronics um, are, are being stolen. Um, so I would watch for the escalation of items to be stolen. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to um, steal guns and ammo because it's always been locked up here in this state. Uh, but other states, it's not so locked up. Um, but that would be what I would watch for. So again, um, someone asked me, you know, hey, what are what are professionals and, and other people failing to see or not wanting to see? Well, you know, criminals are always going to be criminals. Uh, even in times like this, it's going to happen. Right. It seems like, you know, the other day, my wife and I were at the store and you can kind of feel the energy, you know, with people on edge, worried about things. And uh, we were talking with uh, one of the workers at the store and he was saying that he's never seen anything like it. Uh, as soon as the truck came in uh, for the meat he had 40, 50 people lined up, you know, and they wouldn't even let him get it to the shelf. It was, he said it was like a scene from the walking dead. People were just reaching in there and grabbing and just scurrying off, you know, like rats. And there's some pushing and shoving involved, but you know, they get a truck every other day. And so it's not really like there's a shortage, but you know, people are, you know, experiencing that they feel like they're pushed into a corner and what kind of escalations, uh, you know, you, you're saying to watch out for, what are some good examples of those escalations that people need to be aware of, especially if they're out in public trying to just carry out their day to day to get the essentials that they need to go and get. I would watch for and feel, I mean, trust all your senses that God gave you, um, you know, cause you can feel other people's level, um, their energy, you know, um, you know, you, cause you, if you go back and pull experiences out of your life, pull on them, pull it out, um, and figure out what the other people around you were feeling feel their energy um, because again we've all had the same experiences you know but some people are trained to be able to articulate certain things out of an experience you know going to a concert 
walking into a venue, uh, going to a rodeo, going to, um, you know, a kid's musical. We all have the same experiences, but certain people are trained and mentored to be able to pull out the certain emotions out of a group, the certain actions, the nonverbals, to be able to articulate it for a report, whether it be later, or how to move either your family or if it's, um, you know, dignitary protection, how to read a group before you enter that group, that, that AO um, operational area um, or OA. Uh, so you can move depending upon the environment you're going into. Um, see, um, down in Denver, there's a couple areas um, that a lone white officer would be more at risk than, say, um, partnered up with a, you know, black officer. And again, I'm not racist at all, but, you know, we're white, we're black, um, or I'm Caucasian. But um, you can read it, you can feel it, and then it, uh, that you adjust to that situation. Um, Again, it doesn't matter how big and bad you are. If you try to bull into any type of situation, you're you're going to get killed. Um, so you have to flow. You have to move. You have to adjust. And if you don't, you know, there's always somebody bigger and there's always somebody better. Um, and again, action always beats reaction. Yeah. You know. It's not so much of uh, a demographic thing uh, as far as the differences between what demographic you would go into. It's more of the mood and the feel of what people are experiencing in their lives. And right now, you know, everybody's kind of in the same boat with, you know, job uncertainty, financial insecurity, resource shortages, whether it be, you know, just what's available that day on the grocery store, you know, and, with people pant buying and hoarding and things like that, it creates this, this friction point for people to start butting up against each other. Um, one thing my wife and I, we've decided is that when we go out, you know, none of the kids coming with us until this whole thing's over. They're just going to be here on the property. Uh, we've got, you know, fenced in acreage that they can run around in, but we've circled the wagons on that part. And it's not so much that we're, worried about the virus itself is we're worried about what people will do right oh yeah you know? and it's it's it can it 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 could get weird and it weird is weird in certain areas across the country because i my network you know i talk to people throughout the week all around america um you know and in, in here as well this, it's hard to you know, limit it down to one sentence. But again, the best one is, you know, know yourself, know the area that you're going to. Um, what are you comfortable with? If you're not comfortable, don't go. Um, you know, common sense is not that common and common sense is a curse to those who have it because we got to deal with everybody else who doesn't have common sense. Um, but, you know, you, you got to protect you and yours um, if you don't have to go, don't. If there's other options or avenues, 
you know, where else also right now, some of the, due to the scarcity and the mob mentality of, of panic buying and stuff like that, if you don't need it, truly don't need it, you know, don't try to go get it. If it's a comfort thing, yeah, yeah, you know, it's time to toughen up a little bit. Yeah. yeah you and I, uh, we did uh, a Redmen group presentation with uh, Navy SEAL Rick Graham and our mutual friend, uh, Hunter Drew. And we were talking about, you know, people keeping their eyes open and uh, being aware of their environment. And we and you brought up the point then, like you did now, that action will always beat reaction. And I think what a lot of people don't seem to understand is that not putting yourself into those kinds of situations is an action. Always. That's an action. You know, not choosing is a choice. Um, so I wanted to bring all that up and kind of get that out of the way before we shift gears here, because you've had a very exciting and interesting career. But I felt like before we got into that, I wanted people to kind of, uh, be able to think a little bit differently about the situation that, you know, they could be going into, whether they're shopping for essentials, whether they're you know, check you up on relatives, especially when everybody's kind of isolated right now. And, right. you know, it, it's something that everybody can benefit from. But like I said, I want to shift gears a little bit. So you're probably one of the most dangerous people that I'll ever talk to. And okay. Well, <laughs> I don't, I, I to, personally, I don't, uh, think I am, uh, again, um, my, you know, my friend, um, Simon Smart, we got, it wasn't him and I got into it. Somebody said something. Um, I think it was Ryan Stone probably two years ago. You know, hey, you're a scary guy. And I'm like, I'm not scary. I'm not, you know, I'm probably one of the nicest guys you know. It's just my skill set is pretty fucking scary. Um, r r right. Uh, it's the ability to enact violence while choosing right. not to enact violence. You know, uh, that, that level of control is what's the, the nuance that a lot of people don't get. Right. I had a, in law enforcement, we would do psych evals. Um, and due to some of my duty assignments, I had to do multiple psych evals in a short amount of time. Um, and, I, and, I, and again, it's not, it falls under HIPAA, but it doesn't fall under HIPAA. And have to share certain information with like my direct supervisor. And my direct supervisor one time told me after he got his report from the shrink, um, he's like, your capacity for violence is, it, again, he was ex-military, like almost an entire career. So he retired from there and then got in law enforcement. Um, and he had a pretty lengthy career. Um, so both of his class A's had, you know, the hash marks up this, both his sleeves. Um, but, uh, he's like, your capacitor for violence is pretty insur fucking surmountable. Um, <laughs> but, and again, it's not, it, it's not that I always choose violence. It's just, I'm not scared of choosing violence. I'm also not scared of confrontation. Um, but it's, um, it's, um, sorry, my dog's going nuts. 
That's all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my wife's up. Um, so he's excited. But it's uh, the, the capacity for violence doesn't <coughs> doesn't segregate me to that side of the spectrum either. You know, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Um, I try to help other guys uh, and any first responder with their PTSD, um, whether it be through divorce or um, just the job itself. Um, but again, we, as humans, this side of heaven and after, you know, the fall of Eden, no one understands evil um, or, and, and, or they don't want to accept the fact that evil is evil. And the only, and there's, I just listened to a pretty good sermon the other day. Um, without fully acknowledging and keeping evil where it's supposed to be, you can't negotiate with evil. You can't appease evil because evil is evil. Um, and evil is not the same as the opposite of good. Yeah. You know, it's a sad reality, but I feel like if you turn your back on reality, you're going to get screwed by reality. Um, the world is, in many cases, a very wonderful place. And the world is, in equally as many places, and, you know, it's arguably that maybe, maybe more that uh, there's a lot of things that happen in the darkness and there's and in that darkness there have to be you know men and women first responders who are willing to walk on that line between the light and the dark oh yeah and then the, always the biggest trouble uh, whether it be military or law enforcement or whatever um, that is, it's the people who don't want to or refuse to acknowledge the fact that you have to put out that um, actor that is from the darkness. You can't always catch them and convert them and they're changing and blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't ask a rattlesnake not to bite your ass. Yeah, and you know, doesn't really matter which end you grab the snake by. If you grab it by the tail, you grab it by the head, you're still going to get bit. You know, but so there's always that there's always that stressor in that line of work uh, because you have your your one group that's in um, the good guy group that you know, oh, you shouldn't be so violent, you shouldn't be so aggressive, you shouldn't be so whatever else, and you're like. I'm either I have to exceed theirs again um, I have to exceed their violence or capacity to overcome them or subdue them so I can bring them to the courts or I can bring them to the and again I'm not saying you know like Judge Dredd stuff you know are you executed on the street I'm not saying that I'm just saying if somebody is actively utilizing violence which is just a tool 
violence is just a tool, um, the, but they're actively utilizing violence from an evil motive against others, you know, you, you got to put them down. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's not the most politically correct thing to say, but, you know, political correctness can kill you uh, in a situation where the law of the jungle is at play, you know, it, but I like what you said about, you know, it doesn't put you in the spectrum of those violent men just because your capacity for violence is there. Uh, you're also a father, a husband, uh, you, you're a care provider. You, you are a protector and a leader. And I think that falls into the duality of man. You know, one thing that a lot of people overlook is our own capacity for destruction. But what they, they also overlook our innate willingness to cause that destruction while simultaneously seeking to protect and seeking to create. And I think guys who are uh, law enforcement, like guys who are military, guys who are out there on the front lines, yeah, there's some that are just in it for the kicks or whatever. But the majority of them, I would like to believe, are the ones who understand the need to be, and in in cases worse than the evil that is out there, in order to keep that evil at bay. Oh yeah, there is. It's it is is what it is. Um, you can get that pretty much kind of the higher level guys, but yeah. You know, one of the things that I try to base everything off of is I've got three jobs as a man. I have to provide, I have to protect, and I have to preside, you know, over my family. I lead my family. My family follows me. I, it's my job to lead them on the, uh, the path to success, whatever that success may look like to my family and you respectively yours. But none of that is possible without the protection aspect of it. Oh yeah. You, you, you can't be a leader if you're you know, walking through a wolf den and you would, and you don't have the capacity to fend off those wolves. Right. But those wolves are not always, uh, you know, they're not always something you can see. Oh, no. You know, they're not, it's, we're, we're not just talking about the people out there that intend to prey on others and do harm. You know, like you mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a virus out there right now that no one can see. Right. There is a, there are forces out there, whether you, you know, whether, you know, you call it spiritual or just vibe or, you know, karmatic, whatever that pull on people, whether, you know, it'd be your, you, yourself, your wife, your children that pull on you. And, and as of, you know, debauchery and filth and it takes a lot uh, out of a man to be able to fight against those things. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of your uh, experiences uh within the law enforcement community of 
helping to combat uh, on a community level uh, those entities that you can't see? And this is kind of a hard question. If you can't see it, it's it's hard to know. You have to be proactive. You can't be reactionary to unseen threats, um, which then, for me, um, goes into the spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. Because that way you need to know your foundations. You need to know what... Um, what the tactics usually are against a man and then you prepare and train through those for when those situations come up because they will it's not it's not if it's when yeah you know we're seeing a bit of a downslide uh with values and with virtue and one of the reasons that i've followed you for so long is that you make the hard decisions you know in a lot of the uh the content that you've put out and the things that i've seen the hard decisions you know to choose the hard right over the easy wrong oh, yeah. and bringing it back again you know in times you know like we're we're in now with the uncertainty out there, it's very easy to get swept up in the emotional need reaction of it and make the easy choice uh, in an act of desperation. But, you know, I like what you said about, you know, it being spiritual warfare and you don't have to be, at least in my opinion, you don't have to be religious in any aspect to be engaged in some sort of a spiritual warfare, you know, fighting the good when you, you know, what's good. You know, you know what's not good, but it's, it's, it's hard to fight an enemy that you can't see. And I think a lot of guys uh, out there uh, are struggling with that. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not religious at all. Um, I don't, religion kills faith, the traditions, the, the, the steps you have to do or, uh, you know, religion kills faith. It's just faith. Um, and, and my faith is, is faith in uh, Jesus Christ is who he says he is, was, because he did what he said he was going to do. Um, that's where my faith sat. Um, and then knowing that, that his father, my father, um, is the type of God that he says he is. Um, and that's what I, that's all my faith is based on. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, you know, I don't follow any kind of Abrahamic beliefs or anything like that. But at the same time, what it comes down to was, you know, strict set of morals and values, you know, I might play a little looser than others at times. But it's it's kind of like the meta rule of the rules to not be broken. The rule, the meta rule, is to break the rules if they need to be broken. Which I guess is when, uh, in your experience with law enforcement and private security work, 
you you see that a lot. There's sometimes a step that has to be taken that isn't exactly kosher, but it was a moral necessity over a just necessity, you know, as far as protecting others. Oh, yeah. But I want to ask you, what drove you, uh, since we're on the subject of morals and and virtues, what drove you, what was that internal calling, as it were, to drive you to a life of protecting others? Because I don't think a lot of people understand what that's like to constantly be called to protect others and those who can't protect themselves. Well, I'm a, I'm a big brother. Um, I've got a younger brother. Um, when growing up, um, uh, he had some health issues type when, I mean, we were, he was first born. Um, this is, I mean, back a long time ago, he was a classified as a near SIDS baby. So sudden, sudden infant death syndrome. Mm-hmm. So he had, um, you have the oxygen tent, and so he was, and if I remember correctly, my mom and dad always told me, you know, hey, help us, you know, watch over him, and again, I was little, um, so I thought I was doing the, the big brother thing, that's one way, um, and then when I was old enough, uh, I got certified as a lifeguard, because I thought it'd be cool, because I like water, I like being at the pool, or being on near the water, anywhere it is, um, it wasn't because you watched Baywatch. This is before Baywatch. <laughs> uh, letting your age uh, tell you there. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but again, so there's that. Um, and then uh, for me, medicine came easy because it's in the family. Uh, and then um, what was it? Someone asked me, hey, why don't you just be a fireman? You know, it's an easy schedule, 24 on, 48 off. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I can still, you know, have my cows and do my ranching and do my duck hunting um, and have a good job and have two days off. So I, you know, what do I need to do? And they go, go get your EMT license here and then proceed. And I was like, okay. So I went through all that, um, got all that done, worked um, for a private ambulance company for a year, two or three. And then it got picked up because I was young and in shape uh, and I could keep up uh, to be a tactical medic and then did that for a little bit. And then 9-11 happened. So I decided to fully transition straight over to law enforcement while maintaining my uh, medical licensure on the SWAT team. So, uh, I don't know if it was a calling, it was more of a skill set and education um, to help others with the skills and gifts given to me. Yeah, you know, like it maybe maybe it was the logical next step of progression. Right. It it felt like it. Um, but having that um, protector mindset is stressful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, 
I've, I've encountered some other medics, tactical medics, that place their own identity in helping and saving others, which is contrary to your own mental health. Um, so helping others and protecting others is good, but it's not your identity. It's just a skill set. It's just education. It's just knowledge. It's, but it cannot be and should not be your identity. Uh, you know, first first year cops, rookies, will get badge heavy. Oh, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. Well, what else do you do? And you'll get a blank stare, or you'll get a lot of ums. And I went through it myself, so it's it's from experience. It's not from a textbook theory. You cannot place your personal identity in a career, in a job, in a profession, in a skill set. You are who you are, who you were made to be. You what's paying your bills is just for a minute time frame. Who you really are lasts a whole lot longer. Yeah, I can, you know, I was in uh, the South Carolina Army National Guard for just a few years, but I saw some of the guys who were there, and this is back when we were still sending people to Kosovo, you know, in Bosnia. Oh, K-4. Yeah, this is, you know, (laughs) good ways back in the day. Yeah. Um, It wasn't something that I wanted to make a career out of or anything like that. But I've seen it. Uh, a lot of my friends are law enforcement. I went to high school with the majority of the county sheriff's department here. You know, majority of them are all my classmates, and I keep sending all of their goofy yearbook photos to the station so they can post up. <laughs> but um, of course, but. I guess in a parallel, you know, basing your identity, and that's a very interesting way of saying it, basing your identity off of of what you do is very stressful. And I like the term batch heavy. I've never heard that before. Um, I can imagine that if you're basing your whole existence on the people you help or the people you try to help and the people you you serve for your community. I can imagine that would just want to eat you alive when things start going downhill or you have a bad day. Oh yeah. Is, is, is that something that you've seen um, with those guys who get badge heavy? Is it something that kind of contributes to maybe their, uh, their experiences with PTSD? Yes, very much. So that um, alcohol abuse, um, a lot of, I mean, you and I both enjoy our pipe and cigars, um, but when I was heavy into it, I was, uh, you know, dipping snuff. Probably, um, to me, it was about a roll a week. But again, that was back in the day when a real roll was eight cans, not this four can roll. Um, 
I did the Copenhagen gold top. I know what you're talking about. There you go. So again, it was, that was to help, you know, maintain alertness, um, stay awake, something to do. Um, but it, it, you know, when I rodeoed, I didn't dip then. Um, I didn't start dipping until I became a cop. So it, to, to base your identity under the badge or as the badge is negative towards positive mental health. Um, they'll drink a lot, um, a lot of divorces, um, absentee fathers. Oh, I got to, you know, I've got to go to work. I got to do this. You know, you need to be a dad. You need to be a husband. Um, you know, uh, it's not from me. It's from what, uh, in my network, in that group that tries to help first responders, usually always the second, second or third question is, well, what's your alcohol intake and how much are you drinking? Um, and that's part of the scale that the professionals are using to how much help and what type of help the therapists or counselors are going to give. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of that with, uh, you know, when I worked for the state department of health, I worked, uh, directly in relation to, uh, the department of veterans affairs. Oh yeah. And, and we saw people who were as old as world war two vets all the way down to the veterans of the, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan wars, you know, on terrorism. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was always closely monitored were, were those coping and numbing mechanisms, uh, that people that they would use in order to try to filter out because, and, I, and I'm not saying all of them did it, but quite a bit I based their entire existence and identity off of the type of job uh, that they did. And, you know, it, it's, it's a running joke and I know you've heard it, but in the military community and in the law enforcement community is once you get out and you get your, your DD 214 or you resign, your DD 214 comes standard with a divorce and bad credit because it never see you. Right. You know, and you know, then we have the issues with the 22 people, 22 veterans every day commit suicide. It's jumped up by the way. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised, but it, it certainly is heartbreaking that yeah. that's the route that people have, you know, have, have turned to with the, with the hand that they've been dealt. But we, we've talked a, a bit uh, about, well, and, you, and you've brought it up several times about the mental health aspect of these cops and these first responders and these veterans. Um, obviously, you know, with you working in a uh, consulting space with law enforcement agencies and you've done private security contractor work, what are some of the things that you think need to change as far as the stigmas behind it, as well as the protocols and things in place uh, for those who are 
inevitably, because like you said, it's not an if, it's a when, uh, be placed into these situations that they're going to have to have some type of assistance with in order to maintain uh, their equilibrium as far as their mental health goes. Good question. Um, hard answer. Um, my view, and again, my personal opinion, it's not going to change because the type of change that would be needed is unconventional, unorthodox, and it has to do with individual maturity. When you have people who identify their personal worth and identity to their job, they're not going to accept help because except asking for help is a weakness, which it's not. You, we know that because of our age and our maturity level. When you don't have that maturity level, asking for help is a weakness. Um, implementing that help that after you've asked for it is again a maturity level. It's a wisdom. You know, learning from your own mistakes is wise. Learning from somebody else's mistakes and not doing that is genius. Yeah, um, that's very well put. You know, it is stigmatized, and we see a lot of it uh, in the circle that you and I share, where the gung-ho bravado facade that people put on is more often than not just that. It's a facade. You know, inside, you know, they're screaming in agony, but they've got the happy face because, you know, they're tough. They're the man, you know. And, I, you know, obviously I'm not suggesting that they break down and crumble because as men, we've got, we've got a job to do. We still have to step up and we still have to lead and we still have to provide and we still have to protect. But, and I'm in no way equating uh, any of my experiences to those of law enforcement and the military guys who've been overseas. But, you know, several years ago, almost 10 now, my wife and I, we were homeless. We had all of our children living in a motel room with us. And yeah, I still struggle with what, how that all happened. And I struggle with, you know, what went down and the pain endured from that. And it, it's, it's a, it's one of those things that if I have a bad night, it's because I woke up thinking I was still sleeping on that motel room floor while my kids and wife were in the bed. But I've gotten through most of that because I've, I understand through, you know, age and maturity and learning from mistakes of reaching out and talking to people like you, uh, our mutual friend, Adam, uh, Adam Smith, uh, our friend Hunter, other people who've been there. And you're right, that's very unconventional. That's very unorthodox from the status quo that you see uh, in especially these hyper threat oriented fields, um, whether it be an EMT, because I've lost people. 
you know, that I've been trying to save. I've done that. Uh, I've seen the, the effects of the internal scars that uh, people will carry from careers in law enforcement, careers in the military. But I agree. I don't think it's something that's going to change. And mainly because I don't think we're biologically wired to make that our first instinct is to reach out and seek help. No, it would not biologically. It would be upbringing. I'm not blaming parents. It would be upbringing in those career fields. Um, again, I was uh, talking with uh, an agency head um, and I asked him, I go, How's, how's your guys' life work balance working out? You know, what, what steps are you guys doing? And he goes, Oh, no, we have a great life work balance. And I go, Okay, stop, time out. What's the work schedule you guys making these guys, these, these guys, young guys work? Oh, they're working 12 hour shifts. I go, okay, so you're working 12 hour shifts, three days on, four days off, four days on, three days off. Yeah, that's not life work balance. Um, another agency, they rotate night shift, day shift every three months. I go, you're killing your guys. Oh, no, no, we're not. No, you know, that argument. And again, I'm not arguing. I'm just asking simple questions. The moment I ask the question, it's perceived as an argument. Again, I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. But a good life work balance for law enforcement? No. I have yet to find an agency that would be willing to do a solid life work balance schedule because the um, level of protection a law enforcement agency has to provide their constituency, their jurisdiction will not allow that solid life work balance just based off personnel, salaries, um, and then the stress level that comes with it. Yeah, you know, if you're working a 12-hour shift, optimally you hope you're going to get eight hours of sleep, which leaves four hours of family time. Right. And you're identifying more with your job because you're spending more time there. And I understand, you know, people have living stake. They've got wages that they have to earn in order to pay their bills and keep the lights on and food in the fridge. Right. But in your opinion, what would be the best type of schedule for law enforcement agencies out there to adopt in order to allow their, uh, their officers and their first responders an optimal, and I'm talking bare minimum uh, here. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the best idea, but, the bare minimum that you know you feel that would benefit these officers as far as their physical and mental and spiritual health from being able to detach themselves from such a world that always has your teeth on edge. My opinion and my opinion alone, eight-hour shifts. Eight-hour shifts. It, but it's not feasible. It's not budgetary feasible because 
the amount of personnel you have to add. Uh, also, your geographical jurisdiction, um, your coverage area, um, your overlap in case something were to happen. Um, also, you have the individual officers. You know, I'm, you know, I can do more than eight hours. I can do more than eight hours. I can, I can do more. Uh, they have that drive to do more. Again, it's 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 hard to put numbers to it, to put it on you know pen to paper, to lay out a plan for that. Um, over my years, I have against unpopular opinion. Law enforcement is a young single man's game. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, you know, with all this uh, extra time being spent on a job, you know, it, it's obviously going to weigh on you. Uh, was that something you had to come to grip with? Is uh, is it something you struggled with yourself? I did. I struggled with it. Held high water. Um, again, like I said, I'm come, I'm teaching. I'm talking from experience. I was I was badge heavy. I identified my life, my personal identifiers with the badge, uh, with the special teams I was on, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, you know, uh, and then when it um, needed to stop, when I had a grasp of reality hit me, um, it was a, a, a guy kicking the pants. I realized, you know, to be a good cop, it had to lessen my responsibilities impact as a husband and as a father. So when I say law enforcement's a young single man's game, that means you don't have a wife. You don't have kids. You have the time and energy to put into your job because to be the best cop you can be, it's education, it's training, it's physical training, it's mindset. Uh, not that you can't maintain the mindset while you have a kid and wife, but you have to, if you're not wearing a badge, you need to be training all the time on all the various aspects of your career. Yeah. And, and, and what's um, I noticed here in this is that, it seems to be a corollary to the opposite of what you and I are talking about um, of not identifying with your job, because usually, you know, you have a wife, you have children, you're a husband and a father also. And then that is another piece of your identity that you can, you know, give your attention and your time to versus the single man's game where you don't have a wife, you don't have a kids. And you're identifying exactly who and what you are with the job, you know, with the badge. But that's the problem is that they're identifying with the job and the badge because maybe, you know, if they don't have a wife and they don't have a kid, that's all they have is their career. Right. And so they do base their identities off that. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's the sort of Damocles just hanging overhead. You're going to get cut one way or the other. Correct. And Correct. Would you say that law enforcement is, well, I would say law enforcement uh, and military, 
would you say that that type of career is the most, uh, I guess I could say likely uh, career types to have more of a heavy influence on the person who's in those, in those jobs and positions lives, as far as making them identify with it. Cause I don't identify, you know, with, you know, my job, I run my own company, uh, men, a men's grooming supply company. And I also work in the automotive manufacturing industry. I identify my, you know, I place my identity around on who I am as a man. Uh, you know, the secondary aspects are, you know, who I am as a husband and who I am as a father while placing those in, you know, the jobs of being a husband and father on a level of importance. But I'm able to separate that and say my job is just a job. But with law enforcement or the military, it's much more different. You know, from the limited amount of time, very short amount of time that I was in the, the Army National Guard, it was something that be easily, you know, in the forefront of my mind saying, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. And again, we see, you know, the, the, the running joke is when you retire from the military or you get your DD-214, you retire from law enforcement, you've got bad credit, a divorce and kids you never see. Is, is that what it is? Is it that the type of job that these are? Is it that they pull these young men and women into so so fiercely that it's almost impossible to try to identify outside of it? Again, my opinion and my opinion alone, the answer is no. Okay. And here's why. Um, So law enforcement, fire departments, uh, military, they draw in the younger populace because big circle, the lack of values instilled into our country, into our families, that you're a man first, you're a woman first, you know, we're, we're, I'm teaching you, I'm training at home, I'm teaching you and training you that, you know, God first, family, then country, those are your priorities. So when that all has deteriorated, or been skewed, or been Uh, fuzzied, if you will, Um, those career fields give those kids the false idea that your purpose in life could be fulfilled here, as opposed to you be a child of God first, you can be a, a man or a woman, and then you can have your family, and you can impact society and the world from those as well as a career. That makes sense. Uh, I don't think people give enough credit to the men and women at home uh, who are raising up their kids with values to go out into the world to find other people of similar values and raise kids of values because the values you know, that you instill in your children that you have over the head of your family and kind of then that umbrella, it, it bleeds out into the community and you can, you can have a positive effect on your community. Um, 
just from being a good man, a good husband and a good contributor to society. Yeah. Uh, just through influence. It is not so much as an active, uh, influence as you have, you know, in being that law enforcement officer, in being that first responder, in being that firefighter, in being that serviceman or woman. That, but the influence and the the implementation of virtues and values uh, in the home are a passive but effective way of affecting the uh, the community at large. And you know that the way you said that is something that I've never considered. I've never considered that with the lack of those values uh, being on such a widespread scale that they uh, were in the you know former years uh that these types of institutions whether it be you know firefighter law enforcement military uh first responders they're yeah they're given the uh the they're, they're given the idea that this is the only way you can uh prioritize the world and affect the world at large and so, yeah, that, it, it makes sense that that's why uh, people would be so, e yeah, they would be, they would be so easily just pulled into the identity of the badge or the turnout gear, you know, uh, or, you know, you know the, the, the flag on your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, um, oh, crap. It's, it's, it's so, it's so big and so vast and it won't change anytime soon until society decides to reinstill the values of family. Um, because usually I'll, someone asks me, hey, I want to be a cop. And I go, why? Not that I'm trying to talk them out of it, but why? Well, I want to make a difference. How do you want to make a difference? Well, I'm going to catch bad guys and you know, put them away. Okay, that's immediate. That's not changing anything outside of that. I'm protecting lives. How? I'm taking drugs off the street. Drugs are always going to be here, no matter what it is. Forever. <clears throat> you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to save lives. Come be a fireman. I'll put fires out. Okay. How about stopping people or communicating and changing people's thoughts of uh, it's better to sit things on fire. You know, how about stop the fire before it starts? I said they're putting it out. Military, I um, I talked to a cousin of ours. <clears throat> you know, I want to go to the military. Why? And he actually had a pretty good answer. He goes, because I want to go to college and I can't afford it right now. My family can't. There. That's a good reason. Yeah. You know, my son, he's 16. Uh, he's graduating in December. Uh a half a semester early and he came to me and he goes, dad, uh, I want to join the military like you did. I said, okay, what do you want to do? And he said, I, I just want to go to college. Okay. I said, well, join the Navy. I said, join the Navy. I said, as much as I would be, you know, as happy as could be with you, you know, wanting to stand up and, you know, dude, you know, is the song and dance of I'm, I want to serve my country, la, 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 that, 
in reality, anybody who's ever done it, you say you want to be a cop or whatever, that only gets you so far as the uh, I want to serve and protect and you know contribute to my nation or my community. That only gets you so far. But after that, there needs to be something like an end game. There needs to be a real reason behind it. And, uh, you know, some people just do it for the money. Some people just do it for uh, the post 9-11 Montgomery GI Bill. You know, I joined because of 9-11. I wanted to go and kick someone's ass because of that. But that's not a sustainable reason. You know, no. it wasn't. You know, you can only want to kick someone's ass for so long and then you get exhausted. You can only want to kick in drug dealers' doors or, you know, rush into burning buildings for the sake of rushing into burning buildings and saving people for so long. But there has to be a broader scale, a, a broader picture of the reason behind it. You know, the, uh, wanting to make a difference you can do that in, you know, in fields of service, uh, but you can also be making a difference at home. And if a, a difference that'll last for generations uh, versus the difference that's going to last until the guy makes bail. Yeah. Or, or until the next fire starts, because it is a, with 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 a fire service it's a very reactive game you go out when the bell rings you go out when the radio goes off with law enforcement there is a lot of you know proactive and deterrent policing that goes into it you increase presence and it acts as a deterrent you know uh, you're able to respond quicker there, there's various aspects to the different forms of policing out there but the biggest and most impactful ways, just like having, uh, you know, being in the military, if you have a strong and powerful military, that's sometimes better than having to use it. If you have a weapon, you never have to fire. If you have officers and you have uh, fire service and first responders that will make a proactive difference in their communities and in their surrounding areas, with educating and mentoring and teaching and just showing that they're there. You know, that makes a more lasting difference than the reaction to the call that comes over the radio. Yeah. And I, I, I advise and guide, if you will, <clears throat> you know, if you're going to do something, you have to do it more than what is minimum required. I, I hate minimum requirements <clears throat> that we have to have them because we're human, we're lazy. But if you're going to do something, whether it be a cop, law enforcement, um, fire, military, medicine, um, doctor, business owner, it's or even just a parent, it's not your sole single faceted impact just as a parent, you know, you're going to influence your kids, whatever else. If their friends come over, you're impacting them. You're influencing that to some extent. Law enforcement, um, you go out, be seen in the community. 
not just respond to services of call, uh, but you go out and say hi, see what's going on, how can you help, can you tie somebody else's need to resources that you know of that they're not aware of. Fire service, um, those guys do all the fire preventative classes, they go out and they go talk to kids at school, <clears throat> they open up the firehouse, National Night Out in August is a good thing for law enforcement fire. Um, Doctors also, besides their current practice or what hospital they work at, they volunteer. Some do the medical missions. Um, <clears throat> corporate business owners, besides their day-to-day, uh, -day, they'll volunteer or be on other boards, you know, community economic development advisory boards. They're doing, you're doing more than your single one little thing. You do more that you do more you can to impact a greater audience to benefit your community. Yeah, you know, uh, as a father, I'm not just keeping the kids fed and keeping them alive, you know, until they get 18 and kick them out. There are things that I have to teach them through my own actions and my own decision making and through my own examples that they will carry on to others uh, once they are, you know, at school or when they're adults and when they have children or, you know, just when they're out and about in the community. And it's the same thing with, like you said, with law enforcement and fire, they're not, their job isn't just to respond to the radio. That's, that's a, that's an active response to, uh, what their job is, but the passive side of it, of like you said, showing up, just saying hi, walking around and talking to people in the community, uh, all of that is more impactful in many cases. Uh, it's it's kind of like you know the uh, the psyop, uh, you know, hearts and minds, mm -hmm. you know. That that's more impactful uh, and more sustainable over time than just reacting and reacting and reacting to these events that come up. But what advice? Since we're you know we're coming up here on the hour mark, since we uh, had to restart after some technical issues, but uh, what advice would you give uh, to those? law enforcement members, those military members, those first responders, uh, those men and women out there who may or may not be uh, already involved in their communities and with their immediate network uh, as far as uh, being a prime example uh, of what you know they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Um, what advice would you give them, especially to those who may be seeking to make a difference, uh, whether it be through an, uh, a field of service uh, or, or, or otherwise. Without adding more to your plate, I would advise know who you are without identifying yourself as the badge or your uniform or your career. Know who you are. Be comfortable with who you are. Um, don't run from yourself just to put a uniform on because you don't like who you are. 
um, once you start there, that's your core. You can put that into your uniform and then your influence, your personality can show through the uniform and then you can impact your community more because then you'll, more things will come up. Uh, community involvement, um, go help out with Citizens Academy uh, for fire guys. You know, what else can you guys do? You know, you do those CPR classes for the public, go talk to schools, um, go to the senior luncheons, you know, go be seen, go say hi. You know, know your, know who's in your jurisdiction. Um, you know, but, but know who you are without that. Yeah, I like that. I like how you said you don't put the uniform over you. You put yourself into the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably the most important thing. You know, I, I'm not a dad. I'm me and I do dad, right. you know, and yeah, I think, I think that's great advice, especially for those who are, you know, maybe the one to two year rookies in whatever field it may be, military, fire, law enforcement, medical, uh, who they are their scrubs or they are their badge or they are their, their helmet. Yeah. You know, you know. I, yeah, I can't think of anything to add to that. I mean, you, you, you hit it on the head with that one. Um, and I think that's a great yeah. place for us to, to wrap up. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, when you had put out a poll last night of how how far down rabbit hole, you know, yeah, we should we, we should go. We went pretty into some very serious and some kind of rabbit holes here. I don't think I've had a uh, an episode yet with anyone who that's been uh, this serious. Oh but, yeah, it's uh, I, I you say nail on the head. I always go for the throat because uh, it's you know I'm we're older. We're more mature. You know, if I don't have to fight so much, I'm not going to. I could just grab, grab the throat and take care of it right quick, fast, and in a hurry. <clears throat> That's just, you know, who I am or what I am. But, um, yeah, I've I had fun in this talk, too. And if you really wanted to go, everyone keeps asking about the urban survival stuff. This is not, this is not zombie land. This is not um, that type of urban survival environment that's going on right now in this, in our country at all or in the world. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want the, uh, the, how do I move through a grocery store, you know, in a wedge formation with my family, you know, well, you're not moving through Walmart with a saw gunner, at least not yet. No, but, uh, and if it does get there, somebody call me, I want to be involved, but, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, you know, there's a lot of, uh, more internal aspect to everything that's going on uh, in the world between the quarantines and uh, this, the, the, the virus and the preparedness that people are attempting to make, you know, everybody wants to prep up with guns and ammo, but they're not prepped up internally. They're not prepped up, you know, mentally they're, they don't have their family on lock that uh, to the point where they know 
that they're going to be okay because you're making it okay. And you can make it okay without, you know, doing John Woo gun slow-mo dives, you know, down the cereal aisle. Yeah. But uh, I think it's going to do it for this episode. And uh, I really thank you for coming on, man. Uh, like you're I said, welcome, this is, we, <laughs> we went down some dark rabbit holes here that make people think and kind of question their motives a little bit. And I think that's important uh, because not everything is what it seems on the surface when you start scratching at it. But for everybody listening, uh, there'll be links in the show notes to where you can follow Mr. Swift on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in for this one. I know this is not the normal tone and tempo that you've uh, been used to on the rugged legacy podcast, but nevertheless, a lot of what we covered here is very important, especially for those who were either in currently or are considering uh, moving into a field of service, uh, especially a lot of you young men and women out there who uh, have your entire lives ahead of you. And right now you're, at a pinnacle of where the wrong decision can set you up uh, for failure if it's not uh, paid attention to. So thank you all for listening. And if you're on YouTube, thank you all for watching. Um, Be uh, sure to slam that like and subscribe button to the YouTube channel. And this is the Rugged Legacy Podcast with Mr. Swift and myself. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash ruggedlegacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.